0: Is sublime, ridiculous,
1: sublime, amazing forehand down the line has been operating well for Medvedev. Now he plays a drop shot out of nowhere. Oh. It is lethal Woo. backhand down the line. Winner from Medvedev.
3: Oh, yeah, goodness, I
1: mean, how good was this? Shut the front door. Even my co commentator thought that was impressive. That was circa 1980, wasn't
4: it? A little bit of serve volley. Love it when we thought some volley might become unfashionable like rollerblades and gluten. Nibidev goes up the line, another winner. Right on the line. How about that? And he looks across to Jill Savar and he says, we've done it again. We've found
1: a way. I don't know if I should call it this way, but he's like a perfect guy, you know. <laughs> Never, uh, when you ask him uh, why he doesn't break a record, like, there's you know, always a story about the controller when he was young, and Tony told him that you shouldn't do it, and I mean, it's, uh, it's tough, you know. I know many of my friends who break controllers, uh, you know, <laughs> who don't, don't even play tennis, but uh, people uh, can get mad at many things, and I feel like, yeah, Rafa is uh, he's amazing for this, and yeah, I have not much to add, I mean. Just amazing about this. Rafa onto the forehand, now deep from Rafa crosscourt. Berrettini nets it, and Rafael Nadal is in the final of the Australian Open for the sixth time. His quest for 21 Grand Slams continues. For me, it's amazing, and I'm super happy to be able to to compete for the last uh, three weeks uh, at the level that I'm doing. Uh, not not only about tennis. Not that for sure. It's surprising for me to be able to play at the level that I'm playing. But in terms of just compete and play tennis at uh, at the high level again, uh, facing the the most important players of the world. For me, it's something uh, unbelievable, Uh, as I said, but I am not lying, uh, and and I am not creating a history. Uh, One month and a half, I don't know if I will be able to to be back to the tour, because we were not able to solve any problem. Here I am, and uh, thanks life for it.
0: Following 13 days of elite tennis competition, the Australian Open has reached its end. A fortnight which has twisted and rotated between storylines off the court to the happenings on the courts and culminating in one of the best results for the home nation in decades. And now tonight, the final stanza. One more match remains. Tonight is the men's final, and history, as always, is on the line. Daniil Medvedev is the highest-ranked player in the draw, the champion of the last US Open. Could he be the first man to win a second slam title in the very next major after achieving his first? The weight of history tonight sits on the shoulders of Rafael Nadal. The race to 21 could end. Will it be third time lucky? Federer tried and failed in 2019. Djokovic tried and failed in 2021. Can Nadal be the man in 2022? In a matter of hours, we'll know. Around Australia on SEN, this is the men's final of the 2022 Oz Open. For the super fast charging, all electric Kia EV6 and for McDonald's, try the Aussie Angus Burger at Maccas today. Good evening. Welcome into Melbourne Park. Rod Laver Arena is set and ready to go. The women's doubles final has ended in a thrilling finish with uh, Barbora Krejcikova and Katerina Siniaková, the Czech pair, taking out the title against Danilina from Kazakhstan and Beatriz Hadad-Meyer from Brazil it's good to be in your company for the next couple of hours we are in the build-up now to the men's singles final Jordan Canellas with you Brett Phillips will take you through the majority of the night once he is done with his MCing duties on Rod Laver Arena but alongside me for the pre-game here at RLA is from the New York Times leading tennis writer worldwide Christopher Clary Chris good evening hey good evening to you how are you feeling ahead of this uh, final tonight? What a, what a contest we have to finish off AO 2022.
2: Yeah, I was talking to Lawrence before this thing started, and we kind of agree we're going to follow the Rafa approach and not worry about the numbers of days we've been doing or anything. or the number of titles. We're just going to just do it point by point.
0: Yeah, I think if we looked too hard into the numbers and how many hours we're here, I think we'd uh, we'd shock even ourselves. No focus on 21 or day 14 here. We're just going to go with the moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've just uh, witnessed the women's singles uh, sorry, pardon me, the women's doubles final here on Rod Laver Arena, which ended just a moment ago. You can hear in the background the, uh, the acceptance speech is happening right now, and that was a great contest as well. It went three sets, it went over two hours, and it ended uh, with, with, a, with a thrilling uh, match and championship points. So it's, every final here has just had a thrilling climax. Yeah, and
2: that match there, Barbora Krajikova and and Katrina Siniaková have been the doubles team in women's tennis for a while now. And and that was their first Australian Open victory together. And now they hold um, the Olympic title as well, which they won last year. And they've won three of the four majors. And the one they're missing is kind of Barty-esque now. They're missing the U.S. Open. Yes. So (laughs) that's all they need to do to finish up what they've got to achieving the old uh, Grand Slam count.
0: The last one. Doubles, just to touch on this for a second, Doubles has almost been rejuvenated a little bit here at at the Oz Open. I think, well, certainly from an Australian perspective, a lot of attention has been... Uh, has been redirected back to doubles for the first time in, in years, maybe decades, really, with the, uh, the pairing of Kokonakis and Kyrgios winning last night. Edden and Purcell, Max Purcell reaching his second Oz Open doubles final in three years. But these, these contests that we've had, full stadiums out in on the, on the show courts around the grounds, it's, um, it's really brought a lot of hubbub to the doubles scene, which is great. I agree with you. I think it's a really undervalued
2: you know, part of uh, pro tennis. For a lot of reasons, some of them understandable, some of them less so. But I think um, Australia has such a tradition in doubles uh – And they have had so many people who've been, you know, real figures in that part of the game. You know, last night on the court, you had Mark Woodford and Todd Woodbridge, the Woodies that were there. It goes way back. So it's great to see the revival here. And I think it's all the more important because some of these team events that have been a venue and a forum for doubles over the last uh, 50, 60 years have really kind of doubles has lost its main spot in those events like Davis Cup now. Yeah. So it needs a way to get it back out there again. But ultimately, it's a star-driven thing. In the U.S., we had the Bryan brothers for a long time, for 20 years those guys hit a certain demographic and really became stars in our country through doubles, but it takes a consistent sort of appearance, a consistent commitment to it. If Nick Curios and Tanasi wanted to play doubles together regularly, I think that could be the kind of team that could break out and do that. Yeah. Will they? I don't, I don't think so. That doesn't seem to be their
0: plan. Is there is there scope for singles players? Is there enough time for singles players to commit to playing doubles as well if they wanted to do it, if they wanted to almost juggle the, the two uh, formats evenly, but you know, between their schedules?
2: Yeah, the last guy to be number one in both was yevgeny kafelnikov of russia mm. um that was about 20 years ago yeah so the way the modern game has gone right you know the best of five sets commitment you know over a over a two-week period in a long season the top guys have weighed that one measured that one and decided no i wouldn't say it's impossible if you can do it on your off days and they somehow you know keep it the best of three sets doubles wimbledon's obviously tough still best of five on the men's side and doubles yeah but uh, you know that it is a problem for sure but Even if we can get it going in the ATP events, make it more possible, like Indian Wells, for example. They always get a pretty good field there because of the way it's structured. Maybe have a way for the ATP to encourage more of the the stars. And there's a guy like Curios who's maybe not going to be a Grand Slam singles champ but is a huge personality in tennis and has so much to bring to the sport and all that he can add to it, maybe doubles could be a, you know, a venue for him Yeah, on top of the singles.
0: So we look ahead to the final tonight now, the men's singles final. One more match to go here. Every other discipline has been run and won from the juniors to the wheelchairs to the quad wheelchairs, the doubles And the women's singles final, and now Rafael Nadal and Daniil Medvedev is the last match we have out on court that will get underway in about an hour and a half from now on Rod Laver Arena. Tonight's match, how perfectly does it fit in to be the, the final match of this year's tournament? Well, you know what? I love
2: intergenerational duels like this. And frankly, if you're Medvedev and you're trying to make a name for yourself in a crowded global sports marketplace, I mean... What's the best uh, opportunity you have? Uh, it's beating the established uh, superstars uh, like uh, uh, Novak Djokovic or uh, Nadal. And Federer is not playing now, but he's in that category really too. And here he is. This is his second swing at it now. Whatever, and whatever, he had uh, Novak I'm in going. a U.S. Open and final uh, I also yeah, last year. He won that well. one, who, who and I think be that be raised his profile. The and now he's got Nadal again. He can be the spoiler for 21. He's still starting out his career, but that's a big that's a big sort of attention getter in that sense. So I think this is a huge chance for him. And obviously, in terms of Nadal, at this stage of his career, I'm always amazed. I feel like, as a tennis writer in the past, the guys who just won and won and won at the end, the public was kind of tired of it. Yeah. And so let's bring on the new generation. Let's go. This is different. People are still kind of wanting to see Nadal win again. They want to see a Federer win again. And there's actually a certain part of the world, maybe not right now as much as before, but wants Djokovic to win some more, too. So... It's an interesting dynamic because of their rivalry among themselves. People are still wanting to see them progress. I think Nadal's got a lot of sentimental energy behind him tonight. Yeah. Does he have the energy is the question.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of sentiment and emotion with Rafael Nadal, and, and uh, a lot of that has stemmed from his comeback, firstly. It just didn't look like for months last year that he would even return to playing tennis. He said in a recent press conference that he considered retiring. Um, We we saw the emotion uh, on the court from Rafael Nadal as soon as he won his semi-final to win a place in tonight's match. He was in tears, um, and I think he is maybe overcome by his own efforts. Maybe there's a lot of uh, pride there, rightly so as well. Uh, A good dose of pride, a healthy dose of pride for Rafael Nadal in what he's been able to do to get to tonight's final. So there's a lot of different things mixing about there. There's the comeback, and then there is... History—it's the race to twenty-one. We've been sitting on Djokovic twenty, Federer twenty, Nadal twenty for a while now. They've each had chances to to get to number twenty and have have failed in their most recent attempts. Uh, Djokovic winning almost doing the, the Grand Slam last year, he notched up three and then fell at the last hurdle against Daniel Medvedev at the U.S. But Rafael Nadal, how badly does he want to be the first to twenty-one?
2: You know, I don't. I'm not sure it really drives him. That's the thing. that's funny, and you could see he's sort of talking it down and it's a good tactic to take the pressure off or to, in a sense, not develop too much of an animus with his, his big rivals. But having heard so him well, talk about um, his whole, his whole arc of his career over the uh, years, I think, think he means it. I, match, yeah, for sure, he'd uh, love to be the guy at the end with the end match, most. But that really isn't, well I think, his mission statement. Novak, to I think it matters more to him, mm-hmm. and he's made that pretty clear. Nadal, I'm not sure how much he's downplaying it. I think he's a guy who really just feels like to be able to compete and be out here point by point match by ma- match is where his his true pleasure and his true uh drive comes from and maybe it's also his way of thinking he will succeed because it's worked for him so far throughout his career not to put too much focus on these numbers which have been insane at times the french open numbers have been just surreal and he's had to answer questions about that surrealism forever and he's, he's probably learned to sort of where that fits into his perspective but I really don't get the sense that it's 21 that's driving him as much as it is to just prove to himself that he can still compete at the highest level.
0: Yeah, so primarily it's just Nadal wants to play tennis to play tennis and just to to be out there competing. He's a competitor.
2: I think it's true. I, I think from watching him over the years, he seems like he's at his happiest, not when the match is over, but when he's out there being able to fight for each point. I think that's really what gives him uh, the greatest pleasure.
0: Yeah. And Daniil Medvedev, so you said before he wants to be the spoiler. He said himself on a on a post-match on-court interview that he wants to be the one who denies one of these big three, the the number 21, again. He doesn't mind He's He's a he's a very personable guy. Uh, when you hear him speak in, in his on-court interviews, in his post-match press conferences, he's a good character. He's humorous. He's he's got a sense of sort of humanity. He sort of you know, he's polite. Um, but he so, probably doesn't mind congrats, being the villain tonight. Congr- yeah, he's a, you know, you know I, I don't really know if he's a small cat, but he's an interesting
2: cat. Really good, really good <laughs> Very good, yeah. Interview. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. Tennis needs interesting <laughs> cats. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how many small cats it needs. But anyway, he's definitely somebody who, uh, who I think is going to be fascinating to watch grow in this global role in sport that he's taking. And he seems to be the kind of guy, Mm -hmm. if he stays healthy physically and is able to maintain that, Um, that I think he'll be around for a while because he's got so so many tools in the toolbox and what he can do. And that big wingspan, he runs like a deer. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff going on that's positive out there. So I think he's around for a while. And he hasn't even really figured out clay and grass yet. And here he yeah. is on the brink of number one, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But hes I, I just feel like, as an individual, I'm sort of fascinated to see how it all comes together for him. And I can tell you, I live in France you know, part of the year, and he's been down in southern France training for a lot of his professional career. The guy speaks great French. Really? I mean, really, really, really good it, French. Uh, wow! I mean, so he's going really to gonna have a way to reach see, parts see, of the, the tennis see, audience and, and marketplace that also, you know, other guys, much like Federer, who's also truly, today, you know, a bilingual it's sort it's of person, and be, that way, trilingual a match, in a way. A match, well, Daniel's French is yeah, great, and so, he's a guy who's got a, a quirky, sort of fearless personality. Exactly. And I have to tell you this: we asked him a lot of questions like after that outburst the other I mean, night in the his, match which was pretty know, brutal and, and not a yeah. good look at all I think he went he went way too far yeah, and you know, shouting and lecturing and the chair umpire like that how, how spend, wasn't a good look and, uh, but when he was asked about it he did, did not in year, any way uh, back really, really off the responsibility and for and that mm-hmm. year, he took it said, said I don't feel good about it it bothers it's it's me I regret it I've been working on myself I got a ways to go and he just did a good job of handling a question about his own behavior that a of athletes might have gotten edgy about you
0: know and I've seen that numerous times with him. Does uh, Do you think the general public understands Daniel Medvedev? Do you think, so the, the tennis tour, it, it flitters around from city to city, country to country, all year round, it's, you know, you know depending on time zones, it's, particularly for us here in Australia, watching other tournaments around the world, it's always late at night, middle of the night, so... The general sports public here in Australia, I can't speak for other countries, but here in Australia gets, the, gets a, a big healthy dose of tennis players at this time of year. For the rest of the year, it's sort of in and out at majors whenever it's hitting the, the, the mainstream headlines. So with that nature of tennis being like that, do you think Daniil Medvedev is understood by by sports fans the world over? No, I don't think so
2: at all yet. I think it's definitely a, a work in progress. And I'm not even sure Daniil Medvedev understands Daniil Medvedev True. completely yet. I think he's figuring that out as well in terms of his new stature and where he fits in and all these sorts of things. I think of the Grand Slam audiences, uh, the New York persona, the perception of him is probably the most solidified now. Yeah. Because I think people remember 2019, the year he lost uh, to Nadal in the final, how he sort of turned a tough New York crowd around a little bit by sort of, you know, he was acting up, crowd started to boo him, got on him, he sort of says, bring it on, I want more of it, and sort of said, you guys help me by being against me, thank you, everything else, so he kind of was in the in the face of the New York crowd, and ultimately, I think the New Yorkers respect that, <laughs> the way things are, and he basically, uh, by the end of the tournament, had totally turned them around, they were in his pocket, now, he hasn't done anything quite similar to that, but, you know, people who follow the sport in the U.S., I mean, how many guys are going to win their first slam championship and be a dead fish, you know, in their celebration on that, so everybody knows he's a bit quirky and different. So I think there's that sort of thing is solidified. But I think outside of that, I don't think people have a clear understanding of what they're up against or what they're going
0: to get for the next uh, few years. One of the great celebrations, that one, from Medvedev last year. The match itself, and, and we'll talk about and dissect this match and how it might play out, but in a nutshell, what styles are we seeing? So to uh, maybe a tennis newbie, what's Nadal going to bring, what's Medvedev going to, going to bring, and how are they going to clash when they're in battle?
2: Well, the big question is, what are we going to see in terms of what their own choices are going to be because uh, the A games, the A games have some similarities. They're both returning from absurdly deep positions in the court. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have a hard time spotting them because they're so far <laughs> yeah. back. as they return, you go, is somebody out there or not? I can't quite tell. And they both love, uh, they have huge, what we call in tennis, shot tolerance. Meaning they can hang out in a long rally and be very comfortable there for a long time and have the confidence that when they want to accelerate, they can. And in different ways, they both rely on on serve. I mean, Nadal's serve is nowhere near as big as Medvedev. Medvedev's six, foot six mm-hmm. and can just slap huge serves in all kinds of parts of the court. It has a very quick rhythm. But they both rely on the serve to set up their uh, next shot when they're on the serving position. So those are the A games. But in New York, when they played in 2019 in the U.S. Open final, which is the best one to compare to this because it's an outdoor hard court and similar sort of best-of-five setting, they both went to B game, C game because they had to because the two A-games were almost uh, Medvedev was down two sets. The A-games weren't working for him so he went into more of an attack mode Mm. and started coming to net. And then Rafa decided he had to respond so he started doing more of that himself and by the end their numbers of net rushes were very, very high. So I'll be very curious tonight in the situation where it's like he knows that I know that he knows uh, what I'm going to do what they will decide to do as the match progresses because they're both good tacticians and they both have a lot of options. And their games I think match up Interestingly, because Nadal, as we all know, and as Denis Shapovalov pointed out the other day, is very deliberate. It's kind of a ponderous sort of style when he's out there at mm-hmm. times. It's all reflection before the action. And Medvedev, when you watch him, you almost got to slow him down. It's like bang, 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 serve, serve, serve. And even though the points can last a long time, the pace is different. So. That could be a source of frustration to both of them tonight to be playing at different paces like that.
0: Yeah, Nadal is very much, he'll, he'll try and break down the opposition's game. He, hes hes I don't know if this has to do with age or whether this has just been something he's always focused on from a from a young part of his career, but he will try and pick apart what the opposition is doing and find the weakness and end the point. And that's, that's what Daniil Medvedev is going to have to deal with from his side of the court, but he can deal with it. We know he can because... He's, he's dealt with a lot that's come his way. He's dealt with the best in the world, and it's got him up to number two in the world right now. And it's not next week, I don't think, but potentially a tournament later he will be or get he will get to number one with the, the rankings. Uh, so even if he wins tonight, Medvedev, I think he stays at number two, but it'll be shortly after that he could climb up to world number one, which should be, in itself, um, that's going to be a, a momentous occasion. When was the last time someone not named Roger, Raphael, or Novak was world number one?
2: Andy Murray. Yes. Andy Murray was, yeah. And he was for a little while, for sure, before his hip gave out. It, it's almost a sure thing, it looks like to me. I mean, there's a lot of ifs in the scenarios for number one. But Medvedev has to win tonight, obviously. That's only if he wins. If he doesn't win, things are up in the air for quite a while longer. But if he wins, basically, if neither he nor Djokovic play in the next three weeks, which I think is probably a likely scenario based on what Novak is talking about, mm-hmm. then Daniel takes over on February 21st as number one. Yep. Novak could add something to his schedule um, before. Or Medvedev might play Rotterdam, where he still entered on February seventh. If he wins that, um, basically, then he's kind of guaranteed to go to that spot. Uh, but I think either way, if he wins tonight, if Medvedev beats Nadal, then I think it's going to be his.
0: What is the the immediate future for Novak Djokovic look like? Just to just to digress for a second, what's what's the what's his schedule like, and and is is his schedule even solidified with his status? It's not solidified.
2: Uh, He's entered uh, in Dubai. The ATP has confirmed that he plans to play. Um, I don't think he's confirmed that yet, but it it makes some sense. That would sort of be his normal schedule, and obviously he didn't get to play here, um, so he's probably eager for matches and uh, eager to kind of get back to playing tennis at probably a less sort of floodlit venue (laughs) than a Grand Slam would be or Dubai is sort of protected, tucked away in that sense, and I think he can get in there as an unvaccinated Person without a whole lot of uh, difficulty, from what I've been hearing. But after that, his normal cycle would be to play the big events in the U.S. Outdoor hardcourt to Indian Wells in Miami, and I think um, right now, as far as I know, he can't uh, he can't get in because unless he's got some sort of exemption issue like he had in Australia, you cannot get into the U.S. as an unvaccinated foreigner unless uh, you have an exemption. And as far as we can tell, he doesn't qualify. So I, I think he's not going to be able to come to the U.S. unless he gets vaccinated. Wow,
0: Jay, wow. it could be. Um I mean, that that's the personal story, and then the tennis story as well is he's going to drop points, that means. so. Yeah, hard choices. And, and the effects and, that has on his on his career thereafter.
2: Yeah, it really is. It's a signpost moment for him, and, you know, like in the past, you know, wars and acts of nature of things that have affected tennis players and athletes' careers, mm. this is his situation. You could say it's his fault because he's got a decision to make, but if he's committed to it, it's going to be kind of a – a force beyond tennis is going to change his career.
0: That's the voice of Christopher Clary from the New York Times. He's here in our first hour of the pregame ahead of the, uh, the men's singles final, Rafael Nadal and Daniil Medvedev, which is set to get underway in just over an hour from now. Sen's coverage of the Australian Open brought to you by the super-fast-charging all-electric Kia EV6. Jordan Canellas with you, but not for much longer because Brett Phillips, after the break, is going to step into the bunker and take you through the remainder of the pre-match. That's next, coming up on Sen.
3: I hear that she's led her slice backhand from her first coach at a very young age, which, you know, she's now using unbelievably offensively and, you know, dismantling players' games. Um, but so it is the variety. She would seem that she's done a lot of hard work on a serve because the serve is faster and the placement is better, and then she follows it up with her big forehand. But it all culminates with her attitude and to put it all together to bring it all together and I think that's what she does so well she looks she looks calm she looks confident mm. uh, she looks happy yep. so look I'm really hoping that you know that will be the same tonight seeing her play from a young age I mean she had every shot already she could already hit a sliced backhand she could hit you know top spin kick serve you know she could hit
4: everything and her I mean her, her weapons have just kept growing and growing and growing as those years have gone on it's up the middle there goes that backhand. It is lethal. Crowd willing her tonight to be the first Australian Open champion at home since 1978. Big serve up the tee, right through Collins. It's a bit of deja vu of the first six matches. Crowd on their feet, loving what they're seeing. Look at a second here. She steps right up just inside that baseline. Takes on the backhand, whipped across court. Ash just makes it over. Forehand cross court by Collins. Puts up the lob. Barty. Collins will track it, just in, and then she went the big overhead. and there's the first bit of real Danielle Collins outward emotion. She's ready to go, runs around, takes on the forehand, whips across court. It's long from Collins. Here's another chance to break. Missed backhand from Collins. Barty's broken again. And now serving out wide for an ace to the outside. side. Five games all. What a recovery, have a look at this crowd, you can hear them. They're on their feet. The world, cross court, forehand wide, wide by Collins. Four championship points for Ash Barty. Now Collins will put the serve into play to the Barty chip return up the middle. Collins went cross court at the back and Ash digs it out. Collins looking to go up the line, Ash on the forehand, cross court, she's done it! She's done it! Ash Barty. Broken the drought of 44 years. She is the Australian Open champion. What a moment to savour.
1: Oh, that is a... Thank God for Casey Dellacqua.
4: <laughs> wow.
1: That, that, I'm speechless. That is just... Uh... You can't be speechless on radio, but I really am. This is just an incredible moment. Yeah,
4: it's goosebumps. I mean, this is
1: this is just a dream come true for me, and I'm, I'm so proud to be an Aussie. So thank you so much, everyone. We'll see
4: you next time. Yeah, it was pretty uh, special to be in the box here uh, last night. Great to listen back to uh, uh, some of the excitement, the exhilaration of an Australian uh, winning at home. I was at Wimbledon uh, the year Andy Murray uh, broke the uh, long drought, and that is one of the biggest roars I've ever heard out of uh, SW19. And I thought, how good would it be to be uh, standing vertical and be in good health and see an Australian actually win uh, the uh, Australian Open uh, fantastic last night. Uh, Ash Barty getting the job done against Danielle Collins. Uh, Brett Phillips jumping in with uh, Christopher Clary. It's great to have you here, Chris. I know you've been sort of previewing a bit of uh, Nadal and Medvedev. I've just... Uh, watched a fantastic women's doubles uh, final. We've just been out there for the uh, the presentation and uh, Krachikova and Siniarkova win their fourth uh, Grand Slam doubles title, twice at Roland Garros Wimbledon, now here. But boy, oh boy, did they have to work overtime uh, today against a pairing. Isn't a great double? Sometimes, you know, a, a pairing can just come together uh, who have both played on the tour for a little while, had sort of mixed success, uh, and Danilina's hardly played on the... You know, the WTA Tour, she's played a lot on the ITF with our very own Arena Rodionova last year, and they collect a nice little uh, prize, win the Sydney Classic, make the final. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just can't predict where your fortunes are going to go.
2: Look at uh, these two Aussie players I heard about, this guy named curious and this guy named Takanakis yes. too, you know. Yeah. Not a lot of uh, Grand Slam doubles in their past. together, no. And here they go. Boom, mm. boom,
4: yeah. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. And what under Babora and Katerina. They've been lifelong uh, friends since they were... At a young age in the Czech Republic, it's uh, great watching doubles when you've got a pair who play so much together, just the the nuances of the tennis court, the communication, but they had to pull out all stops uh, today. But I'd love your reflection on uh, Ash Barty uh, from a, a non-Australian uh, point of view. I mean, she's got universal love and admiration for her game and her as a person, but just uh, take us back to your own thoughts from last night.
2: You know, as an outsider... I was in as you talked about Andy Murray and Britain in that moment there, and it hadn't been as long for both because Virginia Wade had obviously had won at some point too in there. But it was it definitely was a um, for me. You want for the country to have the right athlete when you've had that long a wait. Correct. You want to have sort of the marriage of the person and the moment. Yes. And I just got the sense that that was really just the right person to do that. Um, there obviously have been a lot of great candidates over the years. Mm. Pat Rafter was so beloved. You had Leighton Hewitt, Pat Cash, Sam Stoster, They've all won Grand Slam singles titles outside of Australia. Hmm. But it just seems like Ash, having watched her rise as an outsider and seeing how much she resonates with Australians, really kind of across all demographics and and sort of what the country clearly means to her and how much strength she takes from being here. You can just tell by the way she's made her choices about her scheduling and everything else during these tough periods. It just, it seemed like just everything came together last night. And you could feel it. That people were sort of willing her across the finish line and that she took strength from that even though you couldn't necessarily tell from her expressions you could see it in her game that she was getting lifted by that energy and it was it was beautiful i got goosebumps as an outsider too and i was <laughs> flashing back i mean i don't know i don't yeah. know if you were there too brett but the uh, sydney olympics closest equivalent for me i was in the stadium you know in uh, the
4: olympic stadium then in homebush well, i wasn't i wasn't at the sydney olympics but i felt like i was there i know what you're going to refer to i'll let you yeah no i was it was the kathy freeman moment yeah. Yep. And uh,
2: I had, as a New York Times reporter, then I'd gotten to know Kathy a bit before the before the event, so I'd really talked to her a lot about what it meant. And that one, there's a lot of equivalence in a way. I guess the difference is that Kathy had one chance. Mm. You know, that was the Olympics in Sydney, in her country. wasn't going to happen again. She wasn't going to be the world's best 400-meter runner again at that moment. Yep. So she had one lap. So it was really a crushing pressure. And at that point, it was such a awakening moment for indigenous rights in Australia and everything mm. else, and she was such a... Mm. Uh, important figure in all that so that I think the crushing weight was really on Kathy in a way that it wasn't on Ash who would have another chance next year and the year after to play the Australian Open but still it was you know a woman's athlete groundbreaking in some ways with connections to Australia's present and its heritage and a very popular figure and I think also in a way vulnerable Brett in the way that she projects herself and that you can see that it ain't easy for Ash all the time out there, you know. She doesn't show you the emotion, but, I mean, I don't think she played her best tennis last night, nor did she at Wimbledon. But she keeps finding a way, which shows a lot of strength. I mean, she's 3-0 and in Grand Slam finals now. So those are my basic sort of riffs on that. But it, it's cool to have been in in, in Sydney for Kathy's moment and to have been here for Ash's.
4: Well, I mean, you, you go back, Chris, you're through great champions. and You know, think of Serena. You know, you know, in the 23 she's won, the adversity that she's faced uh, throughout tournaments, so I can just think... Of matches here at the Australian Open, when it's looked like Serena's done on the canvas, about to be out, and she's somehow fought through and, and come from a set down and, and match points against her and got through and actually won the whole thing. So that that's what always intrigues me is the the mind and the uh, just the the inner workings of these athletes. That you know we're, we're trying to make judgments from the outside. We'd love to be inside their little bubble and how they uh, how they go about it. But they've got a special quality that they fight. They, they believe they can come back from any position. They back their game. But I must say, I was sitting here with Sam last night. We rode off that uh, second set, and it was sort of, it, you know, even though it was, it was a nervous time, you sort of wanted Ash to be challenged at some point in this tournament. But for her to turn that around and just keep playing the next point, the next point, the next point, and building the pressure, and gee, that crowd, whatever it's worth, we can never totally measure it, um, just wheeled her home and added that one or two percent.
2: And I think it's nice that this one didn't come first. You know, she got the chance to yes, win that French, oh, which is kind of a surprise. Wimbledon, we all know the residents that has worldwide and to Australians. But obviously for her to get the chance to kind of build up the anticipation for this, struggle a bit, frankly, here in some of her matches in recent mm. years to kind of play her mm. best tennis under the under the pressure and to come through it and to give everybody that moment. And also, you know, great. Yvonne Gouligong is is able to come, I mean. During the pandemic, it's been tricky. I know, she's had some health issues for yep. her to be there yep. and give that kind of closure to it and have that symbolic uh, finish. Oh, it was, it was a beautiful. It was, it was touch. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, Very it nice. was.
4: A, I was thinking when it happened that we should have maybe known something like that was probably being uh, in the works uh, behind the scenes, just because how tight uh, Yvonne and uh, Ash are. It is. A, it's a genuine, beautiful uh, friendship, and you know Yvonne's so passionate about Indigenous. Um, kids in this country not just tennis if they take up tennis that's great but just a better life for indigenous kids but pretty much stays out of the limelight you won't see Yvonne doing many radio interviews or tv interviews mm. she'll do some requests here and there but if it's Ash Barty, well she'll do anything
2: I wouldn't be surprised if Ash Barty, when she's in her 60s and 70s, is sort of similar. You know, yeah. I'm not sure that Ash is somebody who needs to have all that attention and no, focus on her. not at and all. So it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a good thing to be Ash Barty the next 50, 60 years in
4: Australia, I think, though, huh? <laughs> <Yes>. She uh, <laughs> blessed. Absolutely blessed. Uh, it went on Danielle Collins, who steps inside the top 10 for the first time when the official rankings uh, come out tomorrow. I mean, she will look at that as, you know, an opportunity. I mean, people can say, you know, she had nothing to lose, but... I mean, she might never, ever have the chance to get back to a Grand Slam final. Some people have the narrowest of windows, Chris.
2: Yeah, I mean, look at uh, look at Sophia Kennan, who won here in pretty spectacular fashion in 2020 and looked like she was ready to be a, a consistent player. Now we just don't know. She's had personal problems and not playing the same level anymore, and things can change. So uh, Emma Raducanu, not in any way saying it won't happen for her again, but see how things can change from mm. that dominant, no, not losing a single set at the U.S. Open and then having a trouble winning a match on tour since then in the few tournaments that she's played so it can change danielle strikes me as somebody who's very driven has a, has a good plan and i think she as she's pointed out in some of her interviews here she's somebody who's taken a lot of responsibility for all the details of her career now and she's yep. doing a lot of her own coaching mm. not because she can't find a coach i think it's because that's what she's the decision she's made to do that at this point and um, doing a lot of the analytics work and analysis of things on her own and she has a very uh, powerful modern game and that Turning aggressively, cutting off the angles, got a pretty good serve, runs well, and yep. competes. So I don't think it's going to be the last we'll hear of her at this level. But um, I was heartened to see her image has been sort of some, in some ways a bit negative mm. until now and that people sort of see her as this very aggressive in-your-face kind of player, maybe a little rough around the edges. And then you hear her give a speech like last Fantastic. night. Fantastic or the news conferences that she's done here. Yep. I mean, so she's a university grad, and you can tell. I mean, she's definitely a, she was actually major in communication, so yes. we shouldn't be that surprised. But she definitely, uh, I think, especially in Australia, really raised her profile in a positive way. And unfortunately, this happens in the middle of the night in the U.S. I'm not sure he really hit mainstream U.S. culture. Hmm. But if she hits it big in the U.S. Uh, at a tournament, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see people really start warming to her.
4: It's hard not to sort of uh, like her just be, from a pure competitive sense. I mean, you love players that... Uh, or athletes who just get the absolute best and get into a zone and compete. I, I, I love that. I love a little bit of the rah-rah and the, the aggressive outward emotion. Um, so, yeah, look forward to seeing what she can do for the remainder of uh, 2022. Just off the text, winner of the uh, male Aussie Open should jump in the Yarra wearing a Fitzroy Guernsey. Thank you, Mario. Maslin Beach over there in uh, Adelaide. Fitzroy being my old club. Uh, Chris in uh, footy here, uh, AFL. So that tends to get a few little uh, mentions. Uh, Fitzroy, good Guernsey too. So, get all right on Rafa. Those biceps uh, bulge him. The feedback we had last night was absolutely brilliant. I received all these additional texts uh, today. The, the power of Radio Chris, where people were listening to that call who might not have been able to get in front of a TV, was captivating. So we want that to continue tonight for Rafa and Daniil. You know the number 0433 981116 right throughout the night. Share where you are, how you're watching the final, your thoughts on the final, anything else you're doing while you're multitasking. A lot of people were multitasking last night while uh, listening to our call. In fact, people had to pull over who were driving listening to our call because they could not hold the steering wheel. They were shaking, uh, that nervous about Ashbarty getting over the line. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Our our build-up to the men's final. Uh, They're just preparing Rod Laver Arena with the roof closed, the light show. There'll be a special performance, National Anthem. And then, of course, it'll be, I think, Rod Laver and also Jim Courier. Uh, coming out with the Sir Norman Brooks uh, Challenge Cup ahead of Rafa trying to win 21. Daniil Medvedev trying to win his second and his first Australian Open. Back with more here from Melbourne Park. Welcome back, Rod Laver Arena, ahead of the men's final coming up tonight between Rafael Nadal and also uh, Daniil Medvedev. It is the uh, calm before the storm. We're going to have a full house here, Rod Laver in his uh, own house, along with all the dignitaries and celebrities. Some A-grade celebrities, some a little bit uh, further down the chain, uh, Chris, who, when they you know, they put out that sheet every day, you know, faces in the crowd. I can't identify all of them, mm. but you've got to sort of be across lots of different things and TV shows. and but, uh, You can become a celebrity quite easily these days, can't you?
2: Well, I wouldn't know, but, yeah, I mean that's interesting. Because I mean, the I w- word celebrity. Is the seating chart based on that in the, in the old uh, President's Boxer? Do they kind of scale you up based on what you're... Uh Twitter follower account is yeah. or your Instagram follower. You're a little
4: account. closer to the front, if yeah, you you're uh, if you're gaining a little bit of uh, traction. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen on the text uh, tonight. That's how you can communicate with us right throughout the night. We were just talking about Ash Barty and Daniel Collins reflecting on that final uh, last night. I know Chris, you uh, sent out a, a tweet uh, today of a, a country of what twenty five and a half million people. Gee, there were a few eyeballs on Ash Barty last night.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you can tell me, Brett, what this means. I, I'll let you, let you share it. I don't really know what the context is.
4: Well, a peak audience of 4.261 million, an average audience of 3.577 million. So that to me is, uh, well, when you, if you go to a peak of 4.26, I can't think of a, a sporting event or, like I mean, obviously AFL here, NRL, we've got State of Origin, other big events. Uh, some are obviously right across the season. Some are one-off. Uh, but 4.26, I don't know if I've heard a sporting event go to that level. So that that is massive.
2: Yeah, I know she got some good ratings here for Wimbledon, even though that was not great times mm. in terms of the time changes and everything. And the early matches here have been very good too. But that's that's a new level. And I, my question sort of as an outsider is, like, who the heck wasn't watching? Correct. Like, why couldn't they go yeah. much higher than they should
4: been You should no. it. It's kind of a national moment, right? Well, I, I go back to years ago when the, the Socceroos qualified for the World Cup for the first time in, how long was that, about 30, 40 years? I can't remember exactly, but, yeah, I think it was about the, the 70s when Johnny Luisi um, gave Australia a victory and did the lap of honour and I think about 80,000 over the ANZ Stadium and millions. Of, no one uh, was not uh, watching that particular moment because it had been such a long time that the Socceroos had been at the World Cup. So, yeah, you... It's great to reflect and remember sort of where you were and these the significant moments. Is there anything better, Chris? We, we, you know, you and I love sport, the theatre of live sport.
2: No, I think that's right, and that, and that, especially when you reach somebody young with a moment like that. The kids that are around the country here or around mm. the world who are you know, holding tennis rackets in their hands already, or are thinking about it, and then they watch something like that, that. That really puts you in a different place in terms of the choices that you make, and that's where you can make a big impact down the road. I mean look at our country and the players that have come into the sport and not just our country around the world with Serena and Venus Williams for example yep the number of people that have been brought to the game by Federer Nadal and Djokovic over the last 20 years but I'm really curious now Brett about Ash because for example that victory last night was obviously a huge deal in Australia just look at the numbers Mm. anybody who was here knows it was a goosebump moment but I wonder I don't think it penetrated in my country for example not that that's important but it is interesting as she tries to grow as an international. She has the, the skill, the talent, and now the resume, the CV, to be able to be an international superstar. Yep. But I really wonder, will that last night really boosted her because of the time that it was in the night, middle of the night in the U.S.? and the fact, we're getting less coverage this year than we have in the past. I don't know about Europe and other places. It'd be I'd be fascinated to see in the next three to four months what kind of impact it had on her profile globally, not just in Australia.
4: I mean... Will will she ever gain that real traction, just the type of person she is? I mean, she's humble, quiet achiever. I mean, she's not out there as a a flamboyant uh, athlete in terms of expression on the court. And then, you know, when she's got a microphone in hand, she's not saying anything outlandish or anything that draws attention to her. It's methodical, practical. Uh, She's going about her business. So, I mean, she's probably never going to get that total sort of, you know, global... Uh, presence to outdo... I mean, in your country, obviously, it's it's tough for tennis anyway, isn't it? When mm-hmm. you've got the four big codes yeah, yeah, to right. dominate. When, did, when does tennis get the biggest cut through, Chris, and maybe upstage those four big sports?
2: Well, I can tell you, I mean, it's for a sport that has struggled a little bit to get its niche in terms of audiences when it's being played, uh, it sure has produced a lot of big stars, though. Yeah. I mean, Naomi Osaka in the U.S. is big. Yeah. I mean, she's also... Been in the U.S. for quite a long time, but it's really not about that. It's more just because of her social justice, social media presence, and and just the image that she projects. Yeah, I mean, she's she's big. Mm. She's already up there, and you can tell from the commercial interests that are there. I think with Ash, you know, Ash isn't isn't unlike an Nadal type personality in some ways. You know, I wouldn't say Rafa is a controversial figure. No. I mean, what it may take with Ash is that sort of rivalry uh, aspect. She may need to have players come along that become maybe the antithesis of Ash party maybe a wild, crazy person who's going to be the, the contrast, that, mm. and then people will sort of pick their camp, you know. I like Ash because she's got that dignity to her and yep. she doesn't show those emotions that way, and, and she's classy. That, maybe that's going to be what it takes. But right now when she's kind of on her own and no one's really, there aren't really any great rivalries in the women's no, game, about to say that. it's and a I, real problem. No, I
4: can't quite see where, it, looking at yeah. the crystal ball, where they're going to come from.
2: Well, you know, maybe someone like Coco Goff comes along from the younger generation and starts to play that level. Or maybe it's uh, Naomi Osaka stabilizes and, and makes the great quest in her game to be a great clay court and grass court well, player. That's and, the one we
4: want. We yeah, want we sure. want Osaka and Barty going head-to-head far more often.
2: Yeah, so there's you know players like Bianca Andreescu, who I think is a wonderful tennis player from Canada, oh, who beat Serena too. in the U.S. Open Finals, yeah. been off the radar because of injury. Mm. She's got that kind of charisma. So, I mean, there are people that can surface, but you're going to need that. You're not going to probably get... Chris Evert versus Martina Navratilova no. or Roger Rafa Novak triangle, but you could certainly get a lot better than it is now. And I think that's maybe where Ash will shine over time as a personality who wears well. But she needs people to kind of rub up against her to to see what, where you where you stand with
4: her. I think. Mm. Yeah, she's got that edge too that you, you you can't sort of outwardly see, but she can sort of just um, how do I how do I best describe it? You know, when, when there's a real pressure moment when. When she's been challenged, I mean, every athlete's got it. I mean, you don't get to world number one if you haven't got some real grunt and steel about you to seize those big moments. But if you're just looking outwardly, trying to sort of uh, assess that, it's it's you, you can't quite see it. But then, if you know sort of Barty and the way she goes about, if you sort of watch her train and you just watch her in the corridors, we see more intimate, the more intimate environment. You know, I've seen her come into media and she can be quite, let's go, let's get this done. It's, it's just, there's an edge there that uh, every top athlete has uh, got to have uh, on the court and then dealing with you know just being in the uh, the spotlight. But it doesn't necessarily always shine through. You can't always see that.
2: Yeah, you, and you know a lot better than I do, Brad. You've been around her, I'm sure, more than I have. But my sense of it is that there is a gap between public and private birdie, which is pretty wide. Yes, I think she's a lot probably... Uh, more fun and humorous Mm -hmm. and sort of expansive and you know uh, obviously the popularity she has in the locker room it's extraordinary i mean Mm -hmm. the the people always have a certain reaction when a player wins a slam it's you know it's a nice but this is over the over the top in a way people are really coming out of the woodwork saying how happy they are for her among her peers on the tour that tells you that she's somebody that they really gravitate to and i don't think she's shown that kind of warm and And charismatic side to the general public yet and and as as she matures and and realizes where she's comfortable uh and where she's not maybe that'll come out more that'd be good i think it'd be good for the sport and maybe good for her even to kind of get a. if i'm right have those two parts of her harmonize
4: more you know no doubt well i noticed it just even working with sam you know met sam and interviewed sam stoser a a lot over the journey but we haven't actually sat together and, and commentated and uh, she's definitely one that's really come out of her shell in, in the second half of her, mm. her career. She's got more comfortable of the person she is, and uh, just her, you know, her place, I suppose, in, in tennis. And it's uh, it's great to see you know these young athletes, particularly in tennis, who come in so young, and just to watch them evolve as human beings. We've seen you know so many of the great champions be one version, then sort of be the elder statesman where uh, they're great to deal with, sort mm. of beyond thirty, like you know, Agassi, for example who was always compelling to listen to anytime he stepped in front of a microphone uh, from the brash days to the, the the real statesman days.
2: Yeah, we were talking before you came on about Medvedev and how it will be interesting to see how he develops as a, as a character in the public eye and how his personality evolves. And it's true of all these wonderful players that there's going to be a change. The fact that your life changes that much, the fact that you're given that form and that platform, it, it does change you. And so it's a matter of how you choose to, to go with it. I just feel like with Ash, we're not seeing the whole Ash Barty at this point yet in the public eye. That's my sense. So what you don't want is someone not to be authentic to themselves. I don't think that's a way to be happy or yep. be, to play your best tennis even. Hmm. So hopefully Ash, as time goes on, will find where she feels good about sharing. And obviously she had a point in her career, Brett, is when she was she backed off the sport altogether, partly because she didn't like you know the, the vibe of it and what it was doing to her. So she clearly came back to the sport in 2016 with a kind of a new set of uh, – a new roadmap, if you will, for how to handle it. And she's still following that, and who can argue? I mean, 3-0 Grand Slam Finals and WTA Finals champion, number one in the world for a lot of weeks, so it's, yep. it's working for her.
4: Oh, she's a beautiful tennis player, and, you know, you go back to when it all started. That that game style was developed uh, so young. You know, Jim Joyce and the work he did, and it's just a beautiful thing to watch. I could watch it every uh, day of the week. Go for double three 98 11 16 on the text. Keep your thoughts coming through uh, during the evening as we head towards... Uh, 7.30 when the players, just after 7.30, will make their way out onto uh, Rod Laver Arena. I've been thinking about this today. Chris, I know you discussed it a little bit earlier with Jordan. I mean, my heart clearly and unashamedly is with Nadal tonight to win a 21st, to win an Australian Open for the, the second time for you know the legend that he has been and all the trips that he's made. 17 appearances here in Australia. But boy, oh boy, uh, you wouldn't... Um, Grudge Medvedev either. So I sort of still like the older guys uh, having their presence and still winning majors, but you'll sort of you want to see a few of these guys now, and he's one that can get a couple under his belt. You know, Sitsi Pass hasn't won, Zverev hasn't won, Beratini hasn't won, and Rublev, etc., etc. Uh, so you want to start to see these guys build uh, some majors, but the perfect end to what has been the most unusual build up. It's almost like we've mm-hmm. sort of just forgotten all about that. <laughs> I'm going to get your thoughts on that. There'd be more to play out. Clearly, the whole Djokovic thing is Barty and Nadal as the two winners. That, yeah. that's the perfect script.
2: That is. That would, it would be a good. I'm always I'm always amazed as I was saying to Jordan before too. A little bit just these guys have won so much the Nadal's and Federer's and Djokovic pre Australia issues. I would say there's still a lot of guys who want them to win out there. There's a lot of support for them as mm. as champions. People aren't tired of them yet in that way, you know? So it's really interesting to me that that's still the case. It says a lot about the way they've conducted themselves in general. But the Novak thing has been really on the back burner, which has been interesting to see. It tells you how compelling the tournament's been and how tired everybody was of the subject, I think. But now it comes back into play because if Medvedev wins this match... You can't help but notice you never had to go through Novak, and the number one ranking is now going to be basically in play mm. if Medvedev wins tonight. Correct. And that wouldn't have happened maybe if Novak were here. So it's, there are some things that are going to be a little more directly related to that than there have been in a while.
4: What do you think will be sort of the, the narrative post-Australian uh, Open? I mean, Tennis Australia will no doubt here on the ground, go through their own review, as they always do but maybe more uh, more forensically to look at how things uh, unfolded. I just wonder how much is going to still play out here and how this is going to linger, how, mu- how long this is going to linger, the whole Djokovic situation.
2: Well, certainly the the way the tournament played out, being successful on the court and the Barty story and all that and the kyrgios Kokonakis and the, the all Aussie doubles finals and and this great matchup here tonight, I mean, it's, it really couldn't have gone maybe better in terms of the storylines once Novak was gone. Yep. So that can't hurt. But I do think it's important that everybody does a thorough review because the australian open has worked so hard to get its status as an equal partner with the other three grand slams Mm. and they have really succeeded i think in a lot of ways in that so you don't want to lose or step back from that status because of a series of problems that people start to perceive as an issue with governance or an issue with um you know the way the tournament is is handling itself in this new era that we're all in so i think there's some important choices and also important messages to send in the coming weeks Ahead of uh, before it's all forgotten in the, in the wider sense, and I, I trust Australian officials in, to do that. Yeah. but I think it's important to do it.
4: Yes, no, I totally uh, totally agree. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, <laughs> two weeks can go very quickly in someone's <laughs> life, and I mean, when you're working big days here at the Australian Open, two weeks uh, uh, feels like you know it feels like a month. Um, it's just hard to even think back now. As uh, to that, that whole build-up, which was which was just crazy, really, but thankfully we've been able to just focus on the tennis, which we love, and we've got uh, a, a great script uh, with Barty last night, and and uh, and Rafa. Regardless, we're going to have a quality men's final, and that's what we always want. We've had plenty of them over the years. There haven't been too many men's finals that have generally sort of disappointed. I mean, we had well when um, when Djokovic cleaned up the Dal here. Mm. Was it about an hour and a half or something like that? It was a total decimation. But generally speaking, we've had some great finals. Yeah, the
2: last one was not, um, but the context was amazing. So I think that, was, uh, that made up for it in a way. I mean, Novak and Daniel was a straight-set victory for Medvedev, but it was kind of a surprisingly lopsided result. Hmm. So I think that kind of grabbed the attention. There was so much at stake. But um, tonight I'd be very surprised if it was uh, not tight. But i, I got to wonder, you know, Nadal is such a champion and is such a guy who he will give everything he has and dig into the deepest part of himself for yep. these big matches. But I just got to wonder how much he has in the tank against a young guy who who has so much shot tolerance and uh, seems like he's just playing pretty loosely and pretty confidently and, and knows how to handle Rafa and the whole Rafa aura out there.
4: And we know that uh, he just blitzes through his service games. I mean, he's up there serving. I mean, Rafa likes to play at his own pace. Mm. And Daniil will hurry you all the time and then on the return games. Some of his movement, anticipation, those bullet returns. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Dal. I'm just fascinated to see the game plan of how he uh, attacks Daniil. But, gee, Rafa, at the same time, has been really, really convincing. He's just had the eyes of someone that has eyed this is a, a great opportunity. Novak's not here. This is maybe my, my window to claim in a, sec- a second Australian Open. So I, I think he is... Oh, clearly, uh, right in this match uh, tonight. Even though everyone, I think, just generally speaking, talking to people around the traps, feels like Medvedev is uh, just going to wear him down, like he's uh, wear down uh, everyone else. But that's all in front of us.
2: Well, I think it'd be interesting for people to watch tonight, just to watch Nadal's forehand. Yep, I think that'll be really interesting to see. That's that's Rafa's uh, tell shot. That's what he depends on to construct points and demolish points. And against a lot of players, as we saw against Berrettini, semi final. That can just be too much, and he broke down Bertini's backhand. This situation here tonight, playing against a right-hander, a lot of things that Rafa does usually to dominate matches are not going to work because Medvedev loves that backhand at all different heights. He can hit incredible shots with it from deep points in the court, extreme angles from that side of the court. Hmm. So the the inside-out forehands and the inside-in forehands that Rafa depends on He's going to run into some serious resistance defensively, and also somebody who can really attack him quickly with flat shots yes. yep. in response. At six foot six, so that'll be a real key key matchup. That shot against whatever Bevandef defends it with.
4: All that ahead of us uh, tonight, Chris. You've been outstanding. It's been great to have you in the box just to pick your brain to get your insights. Uh, we love reading all your work in the New York Times. And uh, when do you when do you fly out? Hey, I got a test. Uh,
2: I got a test negative tomorrow. Right. Assuming it's all going to go well, I'm I'm, I'm leaving Tuesday. <laughs> sadly, it's been great to be back in Melbourne. I really enjoyed being with you guys. Brett. Yeah, it's been good it's been fun. A treat for me, and uh, it's it's really a,
4: a special place you have here. I, so. might, I might catch you at Indian Wells. Got to make a call on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sounds like you want to catch me in Europe. Sounds like more. I do. Yeah, I do want to. <laughs> do want to get on the plane and just get a little bit closer uh, to the epicenter of <laughs> tennis once it leaves our shores in uh, January. Uh, Christopher Cleary, great to have the mind of one of the best uh, tennis journalists uh, going around. You can uh, follow Chris on uh, Twitter, of course, and uh, read all his great work in the New York Times online uh, right throughout uh, the year. We're going to take a break. Uh, Mark Woodford, Jordan canellis are going to come in and uh, join you to take you through the next little half hour as I step back out on court and the players will be with us in the next uh, 35 minutes. There'll be the light show, there'll be uh, a, a presentation a performance and the national anthem and uh, all the usual things that go on before uh, a big final. Nadal and Medvedev coming up in about half an hour. Plenty more to come. Stick with us. 0-4-3-3-9-8-11-16. Keep your texts coming through as we build up to Medvedev and Nadal. Welcome back to SCN's
0: coverage of the Australian Open 2022. Brought to you by the super fast charging all electric Kia EV6. Brett Phillips is out. I've tagged back in. Chris Cleary is out. Mark Woodford's going to tag in in just a moment and he'll be with you for the rest of the night analysing our match as our special comments expert. Thanks to Nilex retractable hose reels. Water like a expert, available at Bunnings. We'll speak to him in just a moment. So we are in the final hour now within the hour of this men's singles final kicking off between the number two seed from Russia, Daniil Medvedev, and the number six seed from Spain, Rafael Nadal. History on the line for Rafael Nadal tonight, bidding to win just his second Grand Slam title as well, which is incredible as um, as he is uh, obviously the champion that he is. But 2009, so that's 13 years ago for Rafael Nadal that he won the Oz Open title. I actually watched the post-match uh, ceremony of, uh, of that from, uh, from 2009, a couple of nights ago, and uh, Roger Federer was in tears that night. Rafael Nadal was still a baby-faced competitor and... He's, uh, you could tell at that time his, his English wasn't quite strong enough, not as strong as it is now, and uh, very um, very uh, magnanimous uh, both of them uh, from their results on that occasion that night. But that was 2009 Rafael Nadal. Now tonight he has the chance to win slam number 21 and to go ahead of the rest, be the man on top of the mountain and um, and claim history for himself. Daniil Medvedev is the one who's trying to spoil the party. He has experience in doing that. He did it last year at the final major of the 2021 calendar year when he defeated Novak Djokovic uh, in the U.S. Open men's finals. So he knows how to do it. And having a slam title under his belt as well is a huge thing. He spoke uh, in the pre-tournament press conference heading into the Oz Open here, Daniel Medvedev, about how much winning a slam, uh, how much extra confidence winning a slam gives you and the things that he wasn't... Things that he used to worry about earlier before he won the title in the US, he doesn't quite worry about now he knows he's got that inner belief now that he can do it, so some of those doubts just fly away when you're a slam champion so that's what's, uh, That's just a little brief snippet of, uh, of what we have coming up for you uh, in uh, in the matter of about 40 or so minutes half an hour, depending on how long the uh, all the pre-match uh, ceremonies go for, which will kick off in just a moment Rod Laver Arena is beginning to fill up now, the gates are open and the patrons are filing in, the lights are low, the blue lights are on to, uh, to give this suspenseful feel around Centre Court here at Melbourne Park. Jordan Canellos with you, our expert for the match tonight, uh, sitting alongside Brett Phillips for the uh, for the majority of this encounter, is uh, 17-time Slam champion in the doubles and mixed doubles, Mark Woodford. Mark, welcome back. Good to see you again. I'm sorry, I'm lo-
3: I've lost my pen down here to take all these oh, no. notes all these nuggets that you're providing that's going to help me to call the match as well.
0: We're in a dark, small, but cramped space as well. So. I have found one pen. Good luck.
3: So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing, Jordan? you really looking forward to this one, huh? Yeah. I mean, it is... Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> 21. Are you hoping that he could make 21?
0: I kind of am. I think as much as I do love Daniil Medvedev and I would love to see him win here and I'm sure he will win in Oz one day, but I would... <laughs> Maybe just for purely selfish reasons. I would love to see the 21st Grand Slam achieved here on this yeah, court. Exactly,
3: here. Yeah. Um, it, it, it would be just something. And I don't know, do, do we overplay the fact that he's only won once, one time here? He's had a couple of opportunities um, that, along the way, but mm. uh, this is his least winningest Grand Slam.
0: Yeah, yeah. Guy'll... I was actually, so I think the statistician Josh Kay put up a little graphic on on Twitter earlier and. Comparing the, the numbers, so splitting off the titles, one at each slam from the big three, Djokovic, yep. Federer, Nadal. And uh, and most of them have only won one on their weakest uh, surface, so or their weakest the, slam. The weakest link, so, yeah. so Nadal's only won one here. Federer's only won one at the French. And I think Djokovic's weakest is two at the French, I reckon. But he's probably got the, the most even spread, uh, Novak Djokovic. He's won sort of multiple... Uh, across an even sort of layer across all four slams. So Federer and Nadal have uh, have just the one at their respective uh, week slams, and this is the one for Rafael Nadal. So, yeah, there's going to be that, that kind of uh, that sort of omen maybe looming over at Rafa tonight.
3: He played the spoiler at the US Open, Medvedev, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm sure that his uh, design is to be a spoiler once again uh, this evening and, and end up with his second Grand Slam. The match... Tonight, it's, is it the perfect way to finish this Oz
0: Open? This fortnight that we've had, even longer than a fortnight. You go back the week earlier to qualifying and, and the week that we had off the court as well, leading into this with Novak Djokovic, to, to, to see where it, you know, how far we've come from then to now and the tournament we've had and all the, the great highlights.
3: Is this, is this the best way to finish it off? I'm not sure that there would be more appro- two more appropriate or one other appropriate player to be playing Look, the number two seed, he's in the the final. So, um, but I think perfectly positioned with with Rafa Nadal. I don't know if there is anyone else in the draw that or another two that comes yeah. to mind. I mean, Zverev obviously was went out early. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, apart from. An Australian, maybe, that might have snuck through. But uh, I I think this is the perfect end of of, uh, the 2022 Australian Open to have these two play off in the final and what it means. Both are trying to achieve significant, uh, by capturing the title, significant achievements. Obviously, Title 21 for Nadal, but for Medvedev, the possibility of climbing to number one. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It feels like any other final, um, you know, it, it sort of has to be, I don't know, to make the anatomy of a final. I don't know what makes a good final. I guess in this recent era, one of the big three or two of the big three making it is, is always going to be box office. Daniil Medvedev, though, being the top ranked player in the draw now, active player in the draw, and Rafael Nadal still feels, it feels, to me, it feels like a great end to this tournament. If another player had made it, not to be disrespectful or to denigrate the other players, but it feels like, oh, yeah, it would have been a good final, it would have been good. But this feels like it has the possibility to be a great final, particularly after what they did at the US in 2019. That was a, a long match. Fingers crossed, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I feel like this is kind of, a, kind of a great way to end it off. The tournament on the whole, so for the last two weeks we've had and what we've observed... And the highlights we've had, the low lights, which have been there's been a few, but it's been not that many actually. Uh, once the tournament got underway, the the running of the tournament this year and what we've had on court is it have you are you leaving satisfied?
3: No, because I think we could do better uh, in the fact that once we what moving forward ahead in in say twelve months time, you, you know hopefully we are in a different position, our world, mm-hmm. and so therefore, uh, you know getting back to a hundred percent. I felt like the AO in the first week was flat, really flat. Um, lack of lack of crowds. I think their controversy with Djokovic marred the beginning of the tournament. Um, I think there was hesitation, uh, maybe with with fans, but it has bounced back strongly. I think the excitement of. Uh, Ashbarty, the, the uh, tremendous focus and, and spotlight on uh, the 2Ks and, and doubles. Um, I, I feel like it, it has bounced back um, and, and has fed our appetite, definitely. But I think we can do better when the crowds are at max capacity. I agree.
0: I think we're, we're all buoyed by the second week we've had. The second week has been good. The matches that we've had in prime time have been excellent, and the results that we're getting at the back end of the tournament have been great as well. There didn't really seem to be many first week, so just talking about purely about the tennis, there wasn't too many first week classics. Normally you, you will get a, a long match on the men's or the women's side that sets the tone in the first week and is the landmark match of the first or the second or the third round, but we didn't quite have that this year. No,
3: no, no, nothing jumps out at me.
0: There was a couple, you know, there's always five setters, but there wasn't one
3: that goes, oh, that's a classic yeah. night session that runs into 2 a.m. We, we had a couple of days that were on the men's side that went, you know, a number of matches that certainly pushed to the limit of five five sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there there was nothing of, uh, say, the excitement of a uh, someone outside of 250 or a wild card or someone that's come through qualifying that t- caused a boil over along the way or, well, we had one late night finish, but we had. Uh, there's two I can remember. We had a two. Was it a two thirty
0: day Oh yeah. Well yeah. We had one very late one, which was uh, Manarino and Karatsev. Yes. And then we had Karatsev and Muna in the first or second round, I think that was, which was about half past midnight on Kia Arena, and then Karatsev Manarino on Margaret Court went to about two thirty. Um, yeah, those were kind of the two, but they don't they don't sort of jump out, I guess. As they kind of, I felt it felt like they were hidden away a little bit. The um, the crowd situation. So having been capped at fifty percent through the first week and a half ish, was there anything? Do you think that was the right approach for Tennis Australia to take to cap the crowds, or should we have been allowed to be at full capacity from the start?
3: I, I don't believe that it was probably their choice. I think you know, in consultation, you, you know, that's what our media. Um, Releases are saying that, you, you know, after they petitioned, you know, for the Victorian government to, to um, heighten the, the caps. So I think that was probably what was in place by, imposed by them. Um, I, th- I think the tournament could have uh, I- increased it in the first week as well, but um, that's uh, heading into a different direction and story topic yeah. altogether. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the hope is obviously back to absolute full capacity for next year's tournament,
3: I, I, it, it'd so be remarkable if we weren't at that stage. To be honest, it, it would be a, a kick in the pants, and I think for it, it would be a, a heavy imposition for um, tennis Australia as well. That the impact financially of the tournament last year and this year, it, it's a heavy toll. Um, that that, uh, and if they have to go through a third year. Oh, they yeah they want to would want to have the financial aid and support and guarantee by the Victorian government as well as the federal government.
0: Ashbarty's triumph last night will be the uh, that will be the watershed moment of this Aus Open 2022. Even regardless of what happens tonight, I feel especially from an Australian perspective, this will be remembered as. Ash Barty's year. The final last night, I don't know if you've had a chance to to recap it on radio at all, Mark, uh, to our audiences, but from what you observed in the final last night, Ash Barty and Danielle Collins, it was a tight two setter. I think we all would have been racked with nerves even more so than what we were had it gone to three, but Ash somehow pulled it out from nowhere from two breaks down, and I'm still trying to fathom how she did that in the second set. And also, By the same token, how Danielle Collins let go of such a strong lead where she had Ash Barty on the back foot at uh, at 5-1 in the second set.
3: Well, uh, unfortunately for Danielle Collins uh, to to, uh, get off to that start, stay neck and neck, and then um, allowed Ash to take control. I I think she became a bit pensive, um, given the occasion as well, for her first time. Uh, competing for a Grand Slam final. So I think Ash was moving along very well um, towards the end of the first set, but a light went off for Danielle Collins. Mm. The reason that she was here into the final was because of the emotional um, involvement, investment that she showed us and displayed through each of those matches. Then she got down on the ground and the fist pumps came and the the cries of, of come on and even when Ash Barty was making a mistake there was this cry coming out from uh, Daniel Collins into the court. That's how she what, has been. That's how she is and that's how she, she then took the match by its throat um, but it disappeared. She stopped doing it at 5-1. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if she just got tired that the whole fortnight caught up with her but she she lost control she of that match. And again, she went through a flat patch and, and Ash started to just change her game slightly. She started to go out uh, after Danielle Collins' second serve, which is something that Danielle Collins had been doing to her in order to build that 5-1 lead. So... Um, yeah, it was just a real change of momentum, and it, it got a little close there, for, you, you know, in the in the tiebreaker the, to the tiebreaker. But I think then the occasion um, really got to um, uh, to D- Danielle. But certainly for me, when she stopped, when she just lost her way with the the war cry um, for herself and to the crowd, that's where she lost it.
0: Asha's ability to problem-solve halfway through that second set, and you, you mentioned how she changed her game a little bit. It was... clear This was the hardest game for Ash, and, you know, to be expected in the final, she hadn't really been challenged at all throughout her run. The toughest match she had was against Amanda Anisimova, which went 6-4, 6-3, and Ash looked reasonably comfortable in that match as well. A few little tweaks here and there against the, the big-hitting Anisimova, but last night, the, the slice backhand wasn't really Ash's weapon. It's, it, it had been her weapon all the way throughout Uh, The tournament all the way throughout the last two or three years for Ash, but last night it wasn't really doing its job because Danielle Collins was able to overpower it. But then, as you said, Ash went back after Collins and the forehand became the weapon Mm. and the ability to problem-solve that and go from, all right, the backhand, which is my normal craft, not working as well as I want it to, let's go with the forehand and go for trying to attack Danielle Collins.
3: There, There was a period, though, the backhand slice just started to float. It it uh, didn't have any weight of shot, so I I don't think she just relied on the forehand. I think she worked out um, on the sidelines, you know, motioning to her her team as well that she needed to pick up a bit of the the weight of shot. And I I think from maybe four one five one, it just started to combined with uh, going through a flat trough for Daniel Collins that's where Ash started to pick up that weight of shot and uh, but she still yep she used a different part of her game and that's the beauty of Ash Barty a lot of those uh, a lot of those other girls out there Madison Keys and even Daniel Collins if if they're not playing their A game well there's just no B game and and Ash has a B level and a C level mm. maybe there's a D level um, but uh, you, you know she can problem solve
0: That's Mark Woodford we'll hear his voice throughout the course of the night as our special comments expert in the men's singles final, Rafael Nadal and Daniil Medvedev. We are building up. We're within about uh, 20, 25 minutes away from this match, uh, kicking off Nadal, the number six seed from Spain, Medvedev, the number two seed from Russia. SCN's coverage of the Oz Open brought to you by the super-fast charging all-electric Kia EV6. We'll take a break and we'll continue the build-up on the other side of this. Welcome back to SEN's coverage of the Australian Open, brought to you by the super fast charging all electric Kia EV6, our major partner here on SEN's coverage of the Oz Open and a major partner with the Oz Open itself. And it's a pleasure to have the CEO from Kia, Damien Meredith, here on SEN's coverage. Damien, good evening.
1: Uh, thank you for having me.
0: Damien, has it been another satisfying tournament for you and Kia this year at the Oz Open?
1: It's been. Uh, uh a huge success uh, obviously uh, everyone's aware of uh, the rocky road that uh, that we started with but uh, the tennis has been fantastic the crowds have been magnificent uh, and the ratings are being out of this world so we're, we're very happy that uh, uh of what's happened this year with the uh, 2022 Australian Open
0: does uh, does the partnership continue to reach new highs year on year on year at kia
1: it does and uh, uh, we we've, we've used uh, the Australian Open to launch new cars over the last five years and that's worked very very well for us so uh, with what's occurred uh, this year there's obviously we've got Kia Arena uh, we've got a new uh, a new entertainment area for our uh, dealers and guests so the whole thing's come together exceptionally well and
0: uh, for you personally Damien what's been the highlight for this Oz Open 2022 for you?
1: Oh, I think last night was a great uh, highlight not only for me but uh, for all of Australia it was uh, Incredible what Ash Barty's achieved and uh, that second set, 1-5 down, fights back uh, and wins in two is uh, was uh, pretty spectacular and, and uh, something I don't think I'll ever forget.
0: Damien, it's a pleasure speaking to you tonight uh, and enjoy the men's final. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. Cheers. Damien Meredith, the
0: Chief Operating Officer at uh, Kia, who's... Uh, been our presenting partner throughout the last two weeks here on SEN's coverage of the Oz Open, and also the major sponsor of the Oz Open itself. We are into the countdown now here at Rod Laver Arena. The light show is on at Centre Court as the crowd continues to file in. It's mostly full now, Rod Laver Arena, to watch this sound and lights show with all the spotlights sliding up the different sections of the court, covered lights being beamed around to all different corners of RLA, and patterns being drawn on the grounds. From the lighting rig, so it's quite the spectacle with all the LED screens as well, with the imagery of champions from Oz Opens past complementing the light show at Rod Laver Arena. Jordan Canellas and Mark Woodford with you here in the bunker, watching on, being dazzled by the uh, the, the the sound and lights in front of us. It's uh, really stimulating the senses, isn't it,
3: Mark? I- I'm in awe. Can can we just pause and watch this? It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> try and I know it. that's not perfect for radio, but it, it is something to behold. Um, they have done a phenomenal job. When they first brought in this uh, LED um, advertising, I mean, everyone now, they're a real leader, the AO, uh, as far as pre-match shows on finals day. Well, every night, every Night session. I was just thinking the other day how well the
0: Oz Open has branded itself. So thinking about, I think whenever when when the old logo went out, the old orange and blue logo with the silhouette of the the man serving, it's you know whenever you see a logo that's been around like that, you know been you know changed. Everyone goes, oh, I love the logo. But the logo that they've brought in now is very modern. It's been around for a couple of years now. The AO very simplified. But just in general, the the branding of the tournament itself from how strong the the, the colour scheme is which is such a simple almost trivial thing but everyone knows the AO blue the courts are the blue the logo is the same the same blue Uh, the and just everything the imagery around it it's been branded so well and it's I don't know what the, what the personal experience is like at other Grand Slams. I mean, Wimbledon has, has its own branding and its own image as well, but I think the Oz Open image has been established so well and people just know what it is when you see it.
3: it, it they certainly do. And for, for me, it's a bit more of a, a younger, uh, it's more, more hip mm. uh, uh, logo and the way that they promote it here. Um, you know, Wimbledon's very traditional. U.S. Open, I think, uh, you know, don't don't quite reach what we have achieved here with uh, uh, our promotion and uh, certainly with you know this enclosed R.L.A. arena and uh, I mean that's what makes you know our Slam mm. probably the best Slam. It it uh, and I say that with all sincerity. I know it's my home, my own home Slam, but um, it it really has taken uh, come on leaps and bounds and i think it, when you hear players talk about today's players that they just love coming down here i mean they are so well t- taken care of and it, it's it's you know pretty special to be an australian who has played here before and knowing that everyone is gravitating to come back itching to get back here
0: the uh, speaking of kia and again we thank damien meredith for joining us but the uh, the new kia arena you a fan of it? Have you? Did you manage to pop in a couple of times, or at least see the
3: matches played on that court? That's that's one of the uh, the the area here that I have not gone and actually sat into. Usually, I, I like to go to you know that court and a court and you know just sit down and and take it in. But I, I have not ventured over there as yet. Have I got time? Is it what time's the final starting?
0: You might be able to jump over there for a couple of minutes. <laughs> can you handle this for <laughs> I can, can pat for a bit? <laughs> yeah, Now, if you haven't been there, anyone who hasn't been there, it is uh, it's a fantastic stadium. I um I normally like to get around to, to one to, to, to each stadium once. I didn't actually get to John Kane this year, which is a surprise, because that's normally been the court where everything happens. But Kia had it felt like it had a slow start. But in the second week, and particularly with the, the continuation of Kyrios and Kokonakis in the doubles progressing through each stage it became slowly almost the new or another version of Show Court 3 which has been established as the Aussie Court all the Aussies get scheduled out there for the ground pass holders at Show Court 3 and Kia is just a bigger version I don't know how many people a Show Court 3 holds well, probably a thousand or two thousand but Kia is five thousand so it's a bigger version of that and, um, and it became, a, became a, another bigger court for the people.
3: It, it, it certainly has. And, you, you know, we have just trying to think of, of the other, you know, Wimbledon with the, the two courts, covered courts, and their plans are long-term. They've bought the land across on, on the golf course side, and so there will be another grand court over there. But it, it's going to take some time. Uh, Roland Garros will have a, a roof over Suzanne Longland um, mm-hmm. in, in years to come. Um, pre-Olympic games Um, I think US Open is really built out but we have continued to evolve Yeah Speaking of Kyrgios and
0: Kokonakis last night you were there to present to them the trophies or the trophy that they won uh, viewing their final last night and, uh, and you were with us for the semi-final as well the tone of Curios and Kokonakis was very serious, I noticed. It was very uh, light-hearted, and they were, the, they were the showmen out on Kia Arena, but when they stepped into Rod Laver for the semis and for the final, they sort of knuckled down. I think they became very serious about winning the title. Um, is there a sense of pride or a sense of um, of, of just awe in, in how they were a- actually able to go out and, and win that final last night?
3: Uh, y- yes, I'm in, in awe. I, I mean, I was over the moon to see... You know, four Australians battle it out for the the, the doubles title, um, and I think it should be serious for them. It, it's a Grand Slam; it's a chance to be called a Grand Slam champion. So, I, I felt like in their semi-finals that they out here on RLA they they toned it down uh, somewhat. Um, mm. I'm okay with getting you know overly excited and jumping around and on top of each other and you know enjoying the moment. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it's it's the racket breaking sometimes, and the uh, or, or even the um, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I was just uh, uh, watching Jim Courier and Rod Laver come out to uh, with the trophy, and I and I kind of wonder why Jim Courier is uh, out there carrying it. Um, you know, Rock, Rod Laver, I understand. Um, is it is it some? year's significance for jim courier what year did jim courier win it it was 96 or was it a bit earlier than that not an anniversary of his win was it well just wonder like is there is there a need if unless it's it is an anniversary then you you know that's very apt to have him out there um but it is
0: 1992 so there you go Ah, okay
3: so same oh same with Todd, todd and i winning uh yeah, um, the the doubles title. So there we go. Yeah, there you are. So Sorry, a... I'm just uh, you, you know. No, no, right to play. <laughs> it is everybody. our Australian Open. So <laughs> yeah, why well, is an
0: American holding it? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's been brought out the Norman Brooks Challenge Cup, sitting in the middle of the court on its plinth. And let's head into RLA now for the national
4: anthem. Australian. Rejoice, for we are one and free. we golden soil and wealth of toil. Our home is built by sea. Our land abounds in nature's gifts of beauty, rich and rare. In history's page, let every stage. Australia Fair In joyful saints and let us sing Advance Australia
0: Fair Rob Mills singing Advance Australia Fair in the pre-match to Rafael Nadal and Daniil Medvedev in the men's singles final. We'll take quickly take a break here on SEN's coverage of the Oz Open. When we come back after this, Mark Woodford will analyse what's going to happen in the match. Brett Phillips will be in shortly to commentate the match as well. That's next on SEN's coverage of the Oz Open for 2022. We are in the final minutes now ahead of the men's singles final from Rod Laver Arena. The number six seed from Spain, Rafael Nadal, the raging bull, going for the record Uh, the record achieving 21st Grand Slam to go ahead of Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. At the other end of the court is the number two seed from Russia, Daniil Medvedev, the leader of the new brigade in tennis, with one slam title under his belt. Can he be the first man in men's singles history in the open era to win the next Grand Slam after achieving his first? No one has won two consecutive Grand Slams as their two First slams in their career, one after the other, from the US Open last year to the Oz Open at the start of this year. Jordan Canellas with you. Our expert for this men's singles final is Mark Woodford, thanks to Nilex retractable hose reels. Water like a Nile expert available at Bunnings. The text line is 0433 981116. If you'd like to get involved throughout the course of the evening uh, with uh, myself and Mark and Brett when he comes in, Brett Phillips will be calling the action for you once. He has uh, concluded his on-court announcing duties. All the stars are in the crowd as well. The cameras are picking out uh, Eric Banner at the moment. There's a lot more others as well that will be in there, uh, I'm sure, for this uh, significant occasion uh, at Rod Laver Arena. Medvedev, 25 years old. Nadal, 35 years old. Does it feel so? It's a men's singles final, and it's, it's it's the final night, so we all wait in anticipation here for this match, Mark. But... Does it feel like we've eased a little bit? Do we feel more comfortable? I feel like a lot of Australia's emotional investment went into last night. And because we had that emotional release with Ash Barty winning, I feel lighter tonight heading into tonight's final. Less nervous? Far less nervous than last <laughs> night, for sure. For me, anyway, I'm speaking personally.
3: Oh, look, look, uh, I, I, this was 40-plus years since we last had a, uh, a female champion. And, uh, you know, Ash... Got it done, finally. and uh, so. Yeah, uh, but for me, I think the way men's tennis has come about over the last, well, what, th- this last uh, part of the last six months, let's say, you, you know, this is a massive match. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we shouldn't, uh, you know, underestimate um, the potential here for Rafa Nadal. He goes to Grand Slam 21. I mean, that... <laughs> tunes into being called arguably the greatest player ever. I mean, his stats stand up. He should be called the greatest player ever, mm. in, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, Medvedev uh, stands tall here and wins back-to-back grand slams, Moves to number one. I mean, I think then you know we're transitioning. There, there are all these possibilities, these pathways with uh, you know having these two titans play off against each other. I am, I am super uh, anticipating a royal battle out here, or battle royale.
0: Battle royale. Is there a, is there a, a measure or a numeric that can be, that you can use to split Nadal from Djokovic and Federer?
3: Winning. Twenty-one Grand Slams is it? That's it. Yeah, comes down to that. Uh, for, for, for me, because it, you, for me, I look at you know there's there's arguments for Federer, there's arguments for Djokovic as, as well, and I and I think it's ultimately it's the Grand Slams where history is made, and history could be made tonight.
0: Rafael Nadal and Daniel Medvedev are making their way down the walk of legends. Rafael Nadal has his purple tracksuit jacket on. Daniel Medvedev all in white. Rafa's got his mask on and racket in his left hand. Now they trudge down with all the names of previous winners from both men's and women's over either shoulder. As they come through the hall, they turn the corner and they'll wait at the door to be announced on court and we'll hear the roar in just a moment. The strengths and weaknesses of these two gentlemen are perfectly poised against one another. There's a a good balance between the two. The last two singles finals, so tonight and last night's women's singles final, had a a nice balance of opposites. Danielle Collins was the brutaliser. She was the uh, louder of the two competitors. Ash Barty was the more artful, crafty player opposites. Tonight it's similar kind of players who predominantly like to play on the baseline but Rafael Nadal will attack from the start. Daniel Medvedev will defend from the start. So from that sense you have opposites. We'll expand on that in just a second. Let's get some noise. Rafael Nadal is coming out onto Rod Laver Arena now.